One of the most flattering things, one of the most encouraging things I think that can ever happen is to have someone uh, look up to you and want to emulate you. They, they want to dress like you or they'll say the things that you say. You can tell that they've been, they've been watching you. They think like you. Almost every parent or every grandchild has that moment uh, where their grandchildren children will want to, to do or say something that they, that they say. My grandmother, uh, Johnson, Grandma Johnson, was a pharmacy tech at what used to be Taylor Drugstore. Um, they lived in New Albany, Indiana, and those were kind of popular in the south part of the state. But uh, she wore a white uh, you know, jacket to work with a name badge on it, and I thought that was really cool. And my mom would take us into the Taylor Drugstore to see Grandma, and, and we would be on the other side of the counter, and, you know, the pharmacy people were always kind of up high, you know, there, and, and she would be hard at work counting medicines and loading pill bottles full of stuff, and all of a sudden, she'd look up and see her grandchildren, and she would just go, ah. You know, just smile really big. And she'd come down and say hello to us. And then she would give us some money so we could go buy some candy. And going to see Grandma at Taylor Drugs is always fun. But the, the thing that was the, uh, the most fun was when we would stay at Grandma's house and find that white coat at her house and put it on. <laughs> and I think all of us grandchildren took turns uh, pretending we were Grandma. We'd put that, that coat on. We looked like we were a doctor or a scientist, you know. When you're real little, it's real cute because it comes down to like below your knees, you know, kind of thing. But to pretend like you are someone that you look up to, someone that you admire uh, is a great thing. As Christians, we look up to Jesus. We worship him. We adore him. We sing our praises to him. But I think one of the most glorifying things that we can do in our worship of Jesus is to try to be like him and to think like he thinks, and to act the way he uh, acted when he was physically here on the earth, to emulate the things that he did, to say the things that he said, to be like him in every way that we possibly can. Well, today as we continue our series through the book of 1 Peter, this third part, Unwavering Faith, Rooted Deep Enough to Withstand a Hurricane, we find ourselves uh, some don'ts and some do's in this passage Things that we shouldn't do, things that we should do if we're going to be followers of Christ. But I want you to know that really what this passage is about, it's not by any stretch of the imagination an exhaustive list of things Christians don't do and things that Christians must do. What it really is, it is a, a picture of what, how Christians think. We think with the same mind that Jesus had. The name Christian means little Christ or Jesus' mini-me's, if you will. And when people see us, when they see how we think, and they see how we talk, and they see how we act, they need to be seeing Jesus in us. Several years ago, it was really popular to wear a, a band that said WWJD on it. Remember those? And that stood for What Would Jesus Do? What would Jesus do? It's not our uh, creation of what we think Jesus should be like. Well, my Jesus would do this or that. No, it's what, what is the Jesus of the Bible like? Because if we think like he thinks, then if we have his mindset, then the things that we do will line up with the things that he does. What or who you live for naturally determines how you live. What or who you live for naturally determines how you live. 
Now, the Bible certainly gives us specific examples of don'ts and do's, such as the Ten Commandments or the Beatitudes, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, and so forth. But there are, and while there may be clear black and white instructions and lists that should be followed closely as Christians, I want you to know that who or what you live for determines how you naturally live. It would take quite a volume of books to list all of the things that we should do as followers of Christ or that we should not do as followers of Christ. But it's pretty simple. When you live for Jesus, you naturally live like Jesus. So let's look at, at three things of, of what we live for in this passage, 1 Peter 4, 1 through 11. The first thing is we live for the will of God. We live to please God. Jesus taught us how to pray. He said, don't give your long, flowery, memorized prayers trying to impress people. Uh, instead, you should pray something like this. Pray in this way, he said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In other words, Lord, we want you to get your way here on earth the way you get your way in heaven. Not what I want, it's what you want. And even Jesus demonstrated that in the Garden of Gethsemane when he knelt and he prayed to God the Father and he said, let this bitter cup of suffering pass from me. He knew when he was going to die and how he was going to die. And he was sweating drops like blood because he was so stressed and full of anxiety over knowing what was coming. And as bad as the physical pain of the cross and the anguish and the, the whippings and the crown of thorns and all of that was, and I can't even begin to imagine what probably was harder for Jesus was to take all of the sins of the world on him. He who knew no sin became sin. Your sin, my sin, collectively on this perfect Son of God who left the perfection of heaven and came to the reality of earth and lived among us for 30 plus years and experienced firsthand everything that you and I experienced. The hunger, the thirst, the rejection, the betrayal, temptation, yet without sin. And he took on him all of our sins, and even God the Father had to look away from him because of your sin and my sin on him when he was nailed to the cross. And in quote of the prophecy of the book of Psalms, Father, why hast thou rejected me? God had to look away from him because of all of the sins on him. I've thought of what a shock to his spiritual um, senses earth must have been. You think about, like, on a, even on a nice warm summer day when everybody's jumping in the, in the pool. I don't know if you're the type that tiptoes in and wades in and gradually gets there. I am. <laughs> or if you're more like a Band-Aid, one motion right off kind of person where you just dive right on in. I, I think diving right on in is easier in retrospect, but it's hard to do to just dive on in. And that first Christmas morning in a little town called Bethlehem, Jesus dove right on in to earth, to the deep end, to the coldest end, and experienced our sins on him. Live for the will of God. The First Peter 4 verses 1 through 3 says this, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking 
For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. And that list, I'm sure, could have gone on and on and on. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, let this bitter cup pass from me, he ended that prayer by saying, not my will, but yours be done. (laughs) He didn't want to go to the cross. But he wanted to please the Father more than he didn't want to go to the cross. And so, good news for us, he did. And verse 1 says we should arm ourselves with the same mind as Christ, the same kind of thinking as Jesus has. I thought that was interesting uh, terminology there, interesting use of words. Arm yourself. We have a spiritual battle, make no mistake uh, about it, and we're, and we're deep in it right now, I think, you know, in this spiritual battle that's waging on, on followers of Christ today, and we need to arm ourselves. Now, when I say arm yourself, I mean, don't you immediately think, okay, let me get my gun. <laughs> arm yourself. Let me, get my, let me get my armor. Arm yourself. Let me get my security system set up. Arm yourself. But what do we arm ourselves with? It says arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Arm yourself with the mind of Christ. <laughs> you kind of think you're going to get more than that, don't you? You know, I'm looking for a tank. I'm looking for a battleship. I need, this is a battle, and I need to arm myself for this. Arm yourself with the mind of Christ. And he says, whoever has suffered in the flesh, they've ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of your life for him. The Apostle Paul talks about the same strategic thinking in his letter to the Philippians. He wrote in Philippians 2, verse 4, he says, Let each of you not look only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Have this same mind. Different apostle, different recipients of the letter, different, uh, different Greek word even for it. But he's got the same principle there, the same strategic thinking. Arm yourself with the mind of Christ. He goes on to say, Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." Verse 9 starts off with that word, therefore. Jesus poured himself out. Jesus humbled himself. Jesus, who was the Son of God, didn't grasp to that title. Instead, he humbled himself to the point of going on the cross, and therefore, God exalted him. Isn't that the way it kind of goes? When you humble yourself, when you take the last in the most, uh, uh, you know, least desirable position and let others ahead of you, and you focus on the needs of other people and how you can be kind to other people and how you can meet their needs, isn't that when suddenly you start feeling the most fulfilled and you start feeling, you know, therefore exalted in the midst of humility? 
It takes a real death to selfish thinking to come alive in Christ-like thinking. That's kind of been a theme for me as we've talked about going deeper in our, our, our spiritual journey, as we've talked about deepening our faith throughout the book of 1 Peter. It, it's kind of this um, pouring out of ourselves, making room for God. Oh, we're promised that when we are born again into Jesus Christ, that we are given the gift of His Holy Spirit who comes to live within us, and that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. But make room for Him, <laughs> right? you got to get off of the throne of your own heart and make room for Him. Fill, fill your mind, your, your, your human brain, and fill your heart with the Word of God, but make room for Him. Romans 6, 1 through 2 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who have died to sin still live in it? One chapter over, Romans 7, verse 4 says, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Have you died to selfish thinking that is so contrary to the culture in which we live in, isn't it? I mean, it's important that we, we do our very best and we think about our future and we, we try to achieve. I mean, so what we as parents, grandparents, is what we teach our children and grandchildren. We want them to, to go to school to get a good education. We want them to, to go all out and try out and compete for the best possible spots of the team or in the school play. And academics are important and... Saving for retirement's important. All of these things, we want to do all of these things, and there's certainly nothing at all uh, wrong with that. But are we, are we teaching them to think of others? Because we, you know, we live in the, the me generation, the, the my generation, M-Y. We want stuff. We want to get ahead. We want to look out for number one. And number one doesn't always mean Jesus. But are we humbling ourselves and thinking about what does my neighbor need? What does my coworker need? What does my extended family member need? Where are they hurting? Where are they falling short? How can I take, take my attention off of myself and place it on others? Because when we do that, we're developing the mind of Christ, and what follows is the actions of of Christ. Galatians 2, 19 through 20 says, For th through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Others. Others. Boy, if you, if you don't get any other words out of this message today, get that one word, the word others, others. You know, put that word on your refrigerator. Put that word on the mirror uh, above the sink where you get ready in the morning. Put, put that word on the dash of your car, others, others. That may sound like a, a trendy 2020 kind of thing to say, but it goes back 2,000 years. Jesus was all about others. If you're going to be like Jesus, you think about others. You put others first, others ahead of yourself. And the things that you do for others, you keep in your spiritual mind and heart that you're really doing it for Jesus and that they are acts of worship when you put others first. 
2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we die to self and we come alive to Christ, we get a whole new way of thinking. Jesus was once asked by an expert in the Old Testament law, which was the greatest of the commandments? And he responded to that question in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 40. He said, and he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And the greatest and first command is the greatest and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. Love God, love others. Everybody, let's say that together. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. Boy, the, the best mission statements, the best slogans are the, are the simplest ones. And, and this is so uh, God-centered, this whole notion of love God, love others. And that should be our, our goal as Christians individually and collectively as a church. Love God, love others. I want to love God with all my heart body, mind, soul, and strength, and I want to love my neighbor as myself. Love God, love others. And parents and grandparents, while we're in the midst of teaching our children and grandchildren everything that they need to know on how to have a successful life and how to get ahead and, and, and so forth, and, and that's great, above all, we should be teaching them love God, love others. Love God, love others. At the end of each day, perhaps a great practice for a family would be as they debrief, uh, where have you had the opportunity today to love God and love others. And just celebrate that, not in a way of bragging, but in a way of glorifying the Lord and giving worship to God, because that's when we are the most like Jesus, when we love God and love others. Do you put the love God, love others mentality into practice in your everyday life above self? How does that play out in your home? Think of what that would do for for your marriage, for my marriage, of love God, love others. What would that do for my relationship with my son and my daughter if I love God, love others? Put them first, their needs first. Love God, love others. How does that play out in your day at school or at work? Love God, love others. How does that play out in your commute to and from work and in running errands? <laughs> Love God, love others. <laughs> These are tough times we're living in. <laughs> I stopped by. I'm, I'm kind of funny. I get, get stuck on things a little bit. And um, I've always liked to use cash when I can. That doesn't mean I don't, my debit card doesn't start smoking every now and then, you know. I mean, <laughs> I kind of get going. But since they've told us there's a coin shortage, I've been carrying a jar of coins with me wherever I go. I've never paid for cash more in my life than I have these last few weeks. I stopped by a, a restaurant, fast food restaurant in the Westfield area here a couple Saturdays ago, and my bill came to $8.99, and I got out my jar and I counted out my 99 cents. You know? <laughs> so I just think that's interesting. But the poor young girl behind the counter didn't know what to think, and I thought, boy, I've got a little bit of pride in this situation, I think. She, she had to be thinking, couldn't you use your debit card? <laughs> 25. Anyway, how does it play out in your, how does it play out in the church? Love God, love others. 
You think about how easy it is for us here in the American church to complain about, you know, whether it's the color of the carpet or the firmness of a seat or the temperature in a room. Or Do we love God, love others? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as if he or she was you. The second thing is live for the judgment of God. Live for the will of God, live also for the judgment of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 says, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and you mal- they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh, the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Those who are dead. Now, there are four main interpretations of this. Two of them are based on trying to, or I'm sorry, tying in chapter 3, verses 19 through 20 um, with preaching to the dead. Um, but it gets real complicated when you think of those who have already died being given an opportunity for salvation and so forth. And I kind of side with a more simple interpretation of it as referring to those who are spiritually dead in the Romans, you know, six kind of way. The wages of sin is death. Um, It's preached to those who are dead in their sins, dead in their trespasses, not following Christ, not born again yet. You know, Jesus died for every single person, whether they accept him or not. It would be like buying a, a ticket to an expensive show for every uh, person in your town and giving it to them. Not everyone's going to go. Some of those tickets are going to lay on the dresser and just expire. And Jesus died for everyone. The gospel is for everyone. It's preached to everyone and presented to everyone because everyone uh, can come to salvation. He is not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. It is shocking and surprising, I think, to the world when Christ followers choose to live like Jesus and go contrary to our current culture. I mean, it, there's nothing that makes sense about giving money away or buying someone else a lunch, a homeless person perhaps on the street and sharing that with them. Why would you do that? Well, it makes me feel good. you know why it makes you feel good? Because that's the kind of thing Jesus does. That's the mind of Christ. That's thinking the way he thinks. And the reason it feels so good to do a good deed for someone else, to serve voluntarily for no pay for other people, or to give to those who are hungry food that you could have put it in your own fridge, or you could have bought a, a, a finer cut of meat at the, at the meat shop. Instead, you go out and you buy several pounds of hamburger to put in a, in a freezer here at the church for us to give to the people in Boone County that don't have enough food to eat. Why do you do that? That doesn't make any sense from an earthly standpoint. But it makes perfect sense to the person who is thinking with the mind of Christ. Surprise others by the way you choose to live for Jesus. People who choose to practice sinful and harmful behavior actually have a low self-esteem, I think. You know people like that? Where you see someone and it's not that you're judging them, you're calling them a bad person, but you see perhaps uh, self uh, harm that they're doing by, by the way that they choose to live, and you think to yourself, boy, 
they must have a low self-esteem. It takes a lot of confidence to be the only one in the group choosing not to do something when everybody else is doing it. To just say, no thanks, I'm good, thank you though. By the way, if somebody offers you something that, that, is, that you have taken a stand against, don't be rude about it. You just say, no thank you, I'm fine, thanks though. When I was a kid, people could smoke in restaurants, have ashtrays on their desks at work. You could hop in a friend's car and light up a cigarette without even asking if it's okay. It was just common, common practice. I worked for a grocery store chain in high school, when I was in high school, and one of my jobs was about once an hour to take a dust mop and run through the grocery store to sweep up all the cigarette butts. <laughs> Can you imagine that today? My high school, this is in southern Indiana, even had a smoking area <laughs> for students. <laughs> Can you imagine this? We had a smoking area for students. As long as your parents were willing to come in and sign a permission slip for you, you could have access to the smoking area. Our school motto was, <laughs> well, it was, I, start, I have my notes. This is a true story. It was up until that moment. I'm sorry. <laughs> Should have said that first. Um, oh, but to be a freshman or a sophomore and have to walk down that hallway near the smoking area with all of the, and I'm sorry, this is awful. I would never call them this today, but the, they were smoking area rejects. <laughs> but they could be mean, a little edgy while they wait for the bell to ring to go out for their fix, you know. And, and, and it was just kind of, kind of the way it was. But things are a lot different today, aren't they? I mean, we know so much more about how harmful smoking is to your health and how damaging it is to your pocketbook. It's inconvenient to smoke today because, I mean, just since I've been in the Indianapolis area in the last 20 years, it's now illegal to smoke in most public places within so many feet of a doorway, and you can't fit a cigarette through a face mask. I mean, there's all kinds of complications, and if you do, you get that nasty nicotine stain. This is terrible. It's just not conducive. But the first thing I think of when I see a teenager or a young adult today choose to start smoking is, I wonder why he is so insecure. I mean, that really is my first thought. It's not a judgment. It's not, I don't think that it's a sin, and I'm not calling it a sin, and I'm not putting them down, and I'm not going, but, I, but I'm, I, it's almost more of a heart thing for me that I feel bad for them. Like, I wonder why they, wonder why they feel low self-esteem. Because it takes a person with a real good self-esteem to say no to something that you know is harmful for your physical body, that's going to cost you a lot of money, that's going to separate you from other people in public places. That takes, I mean, you know, it takes a lot to be able to stand up and to say to everybody else, no thanks, I'm not going to do this. When people choose what they know is wrong and offers no value to themselves, they are focusing more on the thoughts of others and how people will judge them than they are on, the, on what God thinks of them and how he will judge them. And far more serious than fitting in with a popular group or having a lot of social media likes and comments is what your heavenly father thinks about your behavior here on earth. One day we'll stand before him and give account for our actions here on earth. Are you living for life with the, that judge in mind, the one that really matters? Or are you living life on earth worried about how your friends will judge you? Are you worried about the number of social media likes that you will get? Are you worried about fitting in with the right 
group of people at school? Are you worried about the job promotion and how something might affect your, your career? Or are you out to please an audience of one? If so, if you're out to please an audience of one, Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God. Love others. Live for the will of God. Live to please the judge. Live for the glory of God. Finally, 1 Peter 4, 8 through 11 says this, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It's not an exhaustive list of do's and don'ts. It's not trying to do enough good things or avoid enough bad things so that you can be saved. It's about doing the good things and avoiding the bad things because you are saved. It's about bringing glory and honor. Your will be done, but His. Matthew 5, 16 is one of my faves. It talks about letting your, your light shine. Let your good deeds shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. I'm all about doing things for anonymity and, and not taking the credit, but we need to make sure that Jesus gets the credit so that God the Father is glorified. Love God, love others. Would you indulge me by saying that one last time with me? Love God, love others. And before you leave here today, write that word other somewhere on your bullets and take it home with you. And let's all try to focus on others more. All right, you pray with me. Father God, thank you for your amazing love and for allowing us to be in this place of worship today. Uh, Father, as we strive to please you, help us to have the mind of Jesus, your son. And God, as we soak in your scriptures, as we look and memorize verses and uh, passages about how he uh, acted and the things that he did and the things that he said while he was on earth, help us to have the mind of Christ. Help us to think the way he thought. And Lord, may our actions uh, overflow uh, from our heart. And we'll give you the credit and the praise and reflect all the glory onto you to whom it belongs. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.